RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. Today on Crush Performance, we'll go to Beijing as we enter the second half of the Winter Olympics. We'll look at the medal counts and all the great performances, and we'll take a deep dive into the doping scandal that is casting a shadow over these great games. And if you've had a chance to watch the games at all, you might have noticed that surrounding every team and athlete, there's a group of high-performance people that are not only helping them avoid and manage injuries, they're also helping them be at the highest level of readiness for every single competition. We'll talk about what it is they're doing to help those athletes perform and how you can do it as well. And of course, coming off the big game, the Super Bowl, we have to talk about the performances on the field, but also the major conversation that has been spurred on because of one major injury. It's all coming up today on Crush Performance. Roll that intro. Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10-1260 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Hey, listen, if you have any questions comments, smart remarks, or if you need some help or advice, reach out to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance is our email. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. And for all other social media platforms, search out Crush Performance and we can connect there. All right. What a week in sport. Of course, anytime there is a major sporting event, global sporting event going on like the Olympics, uh, there's a lot to cover for sure. And uh, these Olympics have been no exception. You know, last week we talked about the incredible country of Norway and how they've just managed to somehow dominate winter sports, especially at major games like the Olympics. You know, with that population of 5.4 million, they're not just dominating per capita. Per capita, it's even crazier if you think about it. But just overall in terms of winter sport performance, and now they're starting to turn it up on the summer side as well, on the uh, summer sports. But how they've taken sport and sort of entwined it, integrated it into their daily life and society and how it's really, really turned out well for them in terms of elite performances. And again, that's not the goal of Norway's program. But when kids are involved in sport, the families are involved in sport, when the community really encourages participation and socialization through sport, this is what happens. Guess what? You get more people who are interested or even able to take that high performance pathway and get to the top of the world. Well, listen, as we enter the second half of the Olympics here, the story is being told just as we had predicted for sure. Right now, as of this recording, Norway's on top big time with 26 medals overall. The next closest is Germany with 18, then the United States. 17, you look at major countries like China, the host country with a population of what, 1.4 billion people. They have 12 medals right now. Sweden is typically a uh, winter powerhouse as well. They have 11. Canada currently has 17 medals overall. And the Russian Olympic Committee is right up there with 20 medals, four of those being gold. And this is where the story of the Beijing Winter Olympics takes an unfortunate turn. It is now cast over by the unfortunate shadow of the very latest doping scandal and unfortunately also coming out of Russia. And it becomes even more sensitive due to the fact that it's all surrounding a minor, 15-year-old Russian figure skater, Emilia Valieva. All eyes are now on this young, talented athlete. 
not only because of the doping scandal, but also because of the fact that she is flat out incredible. The first woman to ever pull off a successful quad jump in competition, jumping up four rotations, landing on a skate blade, one of the most difficult things to do, maybe in all of sport. And not only did she help her country win gold in the team figure skating event, she is the heavy favorite in the women's free skate as well. So this is kind of how it went down. The Olympics start. The free skate is the first event in the figure skating competition, and the Russians are dominating. In fact, they're doing so well, they capture gold. But the medal ceremony for the event is delayed because there is a suspicion of a positive drug test. And nobody really knew or was disclosing what it was all about or who was under suspicion at the time. And just a few short days after the event was over, it came out that a Swedish laboratory had found evidence of a banned heart drug in Valieva's system. Here's the interesting thing. The test was done in December. Now, under normal circumstances, that test would have been revealed in a much shorter time. And typically, the athlete probably would not have been allowed to even travel to the Olympics, leave alone compete in the Olympics. But there's a couple other twists in this story as well. Because Valieva is only 15 years old and a minor, she actually falls under a different set of rules than other competitors. Uh, The rules don't stipulate that minors can cheat to compete. It has more to do with the testing procedure and then the disclosure of the testing results. So then it's announced publicly that there was a positive test and it's a Russian figure skater and it's Valieva, the young, talented Valieva who just pulled off one of the most amazing feats in the history of women's figure skating. And of course, all hell breaks loose. Everybody's screaming for uh, her to be banned from the games, for the Russians to be banned from the games, for the medals to be stripped. But despite the calls for justice and for heads to roll, everything has been put on hold as a major fact-finding investigation gets underway. The International Olympic Committee, the World Anti-Doping Agency, are all trying to figure out what exactly happened here and do we actually have a positive test? Well, because of all of the uncertainty in a ruling by the Court of Arbitration for Sport, they determined that Valieva should be cleared to compete, but no medals for any event she's involved in will be given until the investigation is finalized and they have clear, concise answers as to exactly what went on. What do you think of that? The World Anti-Doping Agency and the IOC are taking a lot of heat from all directions for allowing Valieva to compete, but the IOC is standing by its process that it pursues all doping cases to their conclusion. And at this point in time, it's wrongful to speculate whether Valieva is guilty or innocent until the case has gone through the process. Not only that, it's a legal issue, everybody. So this is going to take some time and they do want to come to some form of a conclusion as quickly as possible. So it's an interesting spot for everybody to be in. Here's the deal. Um, The whole process surrounding this particular test seems a little sketchy. Why was a test that was taken in December not revealed to be positive until the Olympics begun almost two months later. It just doesn't make sense. And that's not how it would normally happen under regular circumstances. And not only that, the fact that Valieva is a minor, and not only that, she's one of the greatest upcoming talents that the sport has ever seen. And now it's all under suspicion. And I feel for this kid. Look, she's 15 years old. Okay, we really, at this point, don't know what happened. Other 
then there is a positive test of some banned substance. It happens to be a medication used for heart conditions like angina. So it's obviously a, a substance that will in some way enhance or support performance because it's been banned since 2014. So, you know, in similar cases, like if you remember Sharapova, for example, you know, she tested positive and she's claiming that she accidentally took a medicine. Uh, we've heard it in Major League Baseball. M Manny Ramirez actually pleaded that, hey, man, I, it was, what was it? His, his girlfriend's medication or something. He accidentally took some medication. At the end of the day, here's how it all works, everybody. And this is sort of the harsh realities of working towards fair sport. At the end of the day, if you're an athlete, you're responsible for what goes in your body. And this thing is amplified even further because it comes out of the Russian Federation again. Now, if you remember back to 2014, 2015, where it was revealed that Russia was running a state-sponsored doping program, it was found that over a 1,000 Russian athletes benefited from a state-sponsored doping program from 2011 to 2015. And if you remember the real breakout moment in the 2014 Sochi Games where it was found that Russian agents had swapped dirty urine samples for clean ones through a hole in the wall during the games. It's crazy. Well, WADA responded to the investigation by banning Russia from international competition for four years. Then the CAS steps in and cuts that punishment in half. That's the Court of Arbitration for Sport, who just ruled that Valieva could skate right now as the investigation unfolds here. So if you remember in some of the previous Olympics, the Russian athletes who were clean and very, very stringently tested by WADA and their agencies globally, they competed under the Olympic flag. And here in Beijing, they are competing under the ROC, the Russian Olympic Committee flag, not the Russian flag. They are not technically representing their country. They're representing the Russian Olympic Committee, who has sworn an oath to follow the world anti-doping doctrines on performance-enhancing drugs and clean sport to the letter. And while the Russian Olympic Committee is claiming that she is absolutely clean and there's something astray here, there are many sporting organizations and athletes crying foul and not just in figure skating. But now we have a situation where figure skating is kind of, you know, tarnished a little bit. Not only that, the potential of this young athlete is definitely under suspicion and probably will be now for the rest of her career. And as a 15 year old, and I kind of find it as a tragedy. I don't think a 15 year old goes out seeking ways to cheat in sport using some, you know, obscure heart drug right there's something going on around her or perhaps maybe the investigation will find that this was some kind of slip up and one of the theories being thrown out from the russian side is that perhaps when she was visiting her grandparents she got cross-contaminated with some of her grandfather's heart medicine you know these stories are starting to trickle out but it's interesting. We have had this conversation on Crush Performance a number of times before with the director generals from the World Anti-Doping Agency. We've also had uh, Mr. Dick Pound on. Mr. Dick Pound is a senior IOC member and the first president of the World Anti-Doping Agency. He has been in the media here saying, look, this is a messy situation, but the way they're going about it is very fair. If it's proven that there's a conclusive positive test, well, then listen. The medals get stripped, the U.S. gets gold, Japan gets silver, Canada gets bronze in the team event. 
Whatever happens in the free skate and every other event that she's participated in after that will also change, especially if she's on the podium. She will be sanctioned accordingly. But what if she's not guilty? What if there's not a proven positive test? Well, I can't help to think that, you know, all of her great achievements here will be under suspicion. And it's coming out already. There's there's athletes, competitors and, and, and Olympians from the past saying, well, listen. Uh, Is this something you need to do in order to be the first woman to perform the first quad in competition, right? It will, unfortunately, unless we get really conclusive evidence that something happened here that, that, that she wasn't a part of or that the people around her were not a part of as a minor, man, I feel for her. How much, how much tenacity does a minor, does a 15 year old have in saying, no way, man, I'm not doing that especially if the people around her, maybe some of the people she trusts most are saying, hey, look, this is the way to do it. It's fine. No problem, right? Um, Again, at the end of the day, it is truly the responsibility of the athlete. We've got so many mixed signals here. I I don't know what to think. You guys all know that I'm a huge, huge proponent of clean sport. And this is certainly a black eye on, again, the Russian Olympic Committee and the Russian Federation. There's no doubt about that, especially with their tainted history. Um, but also in the battle for clean sport, how does a test in December not get revealed until the Olympics actually start? How does an athlete who has a positive test in December even get on a plane to compete at the Olympics? How is it possible that this investigation that's happening now didn't happen back in December? I think there's still some holes in the system, and I think everybody will talk about this, but we have got to do a better job. There is no question, I believe, that. The mass majority of athletes and people involved in competitive sport want a fair, even playing field. I I really do believe that. The cheaters will always cheat. Either they're not good enough, they're not confident enough, they're just short of being able to compete or get that big contract. The cheaters will always cheat. And there's got to be a system to hold them accountable. First of all, maybe deter them, right? And and you guys have known, I've said this on the show for over, over two decades now. I've been saying this, that, you know, the reason athletes go to the dark side for the most part is because they don't know what else to do. They can't get the results they want, or maybe their, their proficiencies and their talent levels are slowly fading away with age or as they move through their sport, or maybe there was an injury they're not bouncing back from. There's a lot of reasons we know that athletes go to the dark side. All I'm telling you out there is there are ways to get incredible Results and sometimes even better results than anything you could accomplish on steroids or banned substances if you just do it properly. Now, here's the kicker on that. You know, when it comes to the banned substances, especially if they're, you know, overseen by a medical person, like it would be in a medical situation, a lot of these steroids, almost every single one of these banned substances, steroids, HGH, PEDs, have come out of medical research. Research that's trying to help people stay healthy or survive, you know, disease or degenerative situations, right? Well, that trickles over, of course, immediately almost into the sport performance world, especially if there's some sort of performance advantage. Well, if you're getting this stuff on the black market, we've talked about this before. It's a dangerous game to play. Those are street drugs. And, you know, in some of the research that's happened revolving around black market steroids and PEDs, when they've been taken to the lab and analyzed, there are compounds in there that they cannot identify. 
listen to me, it's crazy. If you go back to like the Lance Armstrong situation, you know, and Dr. Ferrari, right? He was a medical specialist overseeing the entire program. He was getting paid very well, very unethical, but that's what happened with Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong, think of the Balco uh, situation, right? Where there were medical people involved with a lot of these pro athletes who were just trying to get an edge. And now they're microdosing and doing all these crazy things to get an edge uh, outside of mainstream training and performance avenues, right? Well, it's a, it's a crazy game to play in here. It's right back in our faces once again. And, and there's probably some good and bad that are going to come out of this. But at the end of the day, if we're moving sport forward, I think mission accomplished. But for right now, okay, taking the joy of the medal ceremonies away from the athletes at those Olympics, what a freaking travesty. What a travesty. The system has let every athlete at those Olympics down, especially in the figure skating event. Because this should have never gotten to this point. It should never have. And that's all I'll say in that. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. I really would. And again, you know, I'm I'm really going to watch this one closely. So stay tuned. We'll keep you updated. I feel for this young kid. She is obviously incredibly talented. I would love to just have seen that quad. I watched it with my daughters live. I would have loved to seen that quad just pure. And just knowing that that is just an incredible human feat, like the first four minute mile, the great Roger Bannister. And then the onslaught of sub four minute miles that has happened since he just broke down the barrier here we have a young 15 year old teenager out of russia breaking the barrier on quads in women's competition who's going to be next we know it's going to happen now think about sarah burke and how she changed the face of women's freestyle skiing and snowboarding or think of billy jean king and the doors she opened for women in sport how about Billie Jean King and the doors that she opened for women in sport? She uh, did the coin toss at the Super Bowl here last weekend. We're going to be talking the Super Bowl later in the show. But if you've ever been around professional sports or if you've been watching the Olympics, you might have noticed that there's a team of experts, certainly the coaches, but there's a team of performance experts that surround every team and every athlete at the Olympics. And they are greatly, greatly responsible for the outcomes in competition. And, you know, if you've seen some of the vignettes and stories around the Olympics and how these incredible athletes have gotten to where they are today to be on top of the world, every one of those stories includes the support structure and the team around them. And one of the very, very important teams is the medical staff and performance staff, the physiotherapists, athletic therapists, massage therapists, strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, psychologists that all help these athletes tap into their potential to be amongst the best in the world. Well, you can have that as well. We're going to tell you how right after this as we talk to Tahitian Adu from Advantage Sport Medicine and Physiotherapy. A great discussion coming up on maximizing performance, reducing risk of injury, and increasing athlete longevity. That's what it's all about, and it's coming up on Crush Performance. Stick around. This week's episode of Crush Performance is brought to you by our good friends at Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens because I was looking for something to help boost my energy, my immune system, and support my recovery. I'm taking it every day. It's easy. Just one scoop in a cup of water and you're done. And not only do I have more energy, I've found I'm sleeping better, which is also critical for mental clarity and alertness. With one scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help 
you start your day right. We all know that eating right can be tough. Athletic Greens was created after its founder experienced just how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on your own. And Athletic Greens is cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. It's like you're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance plan. And on top of that, for every purchase, a donation is made to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry in the U.S. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially as we work our way through the flu and cold season. And I'd like to set you up, so here's what we're going to do. Right now, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash crush and get a free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash crush with a K and take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements. So order now and welcome to the Essential Nutrition Movement. Find out what it takes to be a top performer. Get the Crush blog, podcast, and newsletter at crushperformance.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Crush Performance. I'm Jeff Cruschel. Hey, if you have any questions, comments, smart remarks, reach out to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. Hey, we're just talking Olympics and the Russian doping scandal that's going on. Hopefully there will be some kind of positive conclusion to that. I mean, that's the last thing we need right now. But, you know, if you've watched the Olympics or if you've been around pro sports, you have to know that there is an incredible team surrounding not just the teams that play, but every single athlete that competes in sport. We have physiotherapists. We have got chiropractors. We've got athletic therapists. We've got postural experts. We've got movement specialists, strength and conditioning coaches, nutrition specialists. Um, we've got um, um, psychologists. You know, the list is long and it's large. And all of these people play a critical role in helping a single athlete or the athletes of a team be at their very best every single day. And it is an ongoing, nonstop process. Let me tell you that. And if you've had a chance to watch the Olympics at all, you might have noticed that behind the scenes or between heats of a particular competition, you'll see the athletes working on things or they might be on the training table getting their feet manipulated or their shoulders worked on or they might be working with bands or they might be working through visualization of of what they're about to do in their performances. It's a really cool place to be and it's not just for elite athletes. One of the big things that that performance team is really trying to do is you know, help that athlete be at the highest level of readiness every single time they have to compete every day, every bout, every run. Okay. And not only that, but also helping them avoid injuries and manage injuries that they, that they might be experiencing, whether it's acute short-term injuries or chronic long-term injuries. And if you're going to compete at the top of the world amongst the best athletes out there, you need this kind of support structure around you. But what if you're a weekend warrior trying for a personal best? Or what if you're a young aspiring athlete trying to pursue elite sport? What if you're just a recreational weekend warrior out there playing recreational sports just for fun? Well, what if I told you you could have this kind of approach as well? And you probably should. You really should. I mean, health and wellness is a big part of sport. There's no question about it. But getting out and competing, man, if you're in sport, you know what I'm talking about. And in all of our programs, we have a mantra when it comes to injuries. Never let a minor injury become major. And you need help with that as well. While getting regular checkups is a great idea. You know, we talk about 
you know, getting our cars in for regular maintenance. Well, how about your body if you're an athlete? At any level, it's important. And here to help us talk about this is our good friend Tahisha Nadu, physiotherapist at Advantage Sport Medicine and Physiotherapy. Tahisha, listen, we've been watching these Olympic athletes perform incredible feats at the Olympics, but there's a support structure around them. And it's been interesting to watch the athletic therapists, physiotherapists, chiropractors working on the athletes between heats, between competitions to keep them at the top of their game, but also to manage those acute short-term injuries and chronic injuries as well. And there's a big difference between helping an athlete be ready for a competition. And there's a big difference between those two things, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely there is. And I think, um, you know, when you look at how much these athletes are actually competing, like some of them will have a couple events in a day, we have to think about what the body goes through. And so, you know, there there is a component of them doing their own self-care with their activation exercises, their self-releases, the rolling, the theraguns, things like that. But I think when I look at it, um, you know, sometimes they need a little bit of extra TLC, for lack of better words, because, again, they're, they're putting their body um, through quite a bit. Like, I mean, they're, they're competing at peak performance levels multiple times throughout their stay at the Olympics. It's interesting watching them, even little things like um, flexibility or passive flexibility. But I'm really impressed by like watching the speed skaters and getting their feet manipulated, just realigning those bones for top performance. We see that in track and field as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing. Those speed, those speed skaters are amazing to me. Just they're um, like, I mean, you look at the size of those legs and they have a lot of power behind them. And, and I think when, you know, it's a good point that you bring up when you, you look at manipulating feet and, you know, maybe different soft tissue techniques or joint mobilizations. And, and you got to think in those skates, although the skate is rigid, those feet are part of that power chain. So I think you know, you got you got to think about how much gripping they're doing, how much contracting, where they're getting their lever um, from a force perspective from, and I mean that that's all part of it. In a in a skater in a shoe, your foot's still doing some work. Absolutely. In terms of recovery, regeneration after a training bout or after a competitive a, a competitive meet, what is the role of the physiotherapist and the athletic therapist there? I mean, one of the things we're seeing is. Um, these frequent these frequent meetings between the athlete and the therapist, uh, the therapist has to be getting a really good feel for uh, the level of fatigue, level of recovery, maybe even the level of readiness the athlete is in, and maybe sometimes even more than the athlete even realizes. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I think traditionally we think about specifically physiotherapists as, you know, they're the people you go to when you're in pain, you're struggling with an acute injury. I think when you're working in that type of a setting, our, our role will shift a little bit. Um, and, and then, you're again, you're looking at the, the maintaining. So, again, because they're putting their bodies through you know, max peak performance multiple times, we have to be able to think about that. And it's not just about, you know, acute injuries. It's about allowing the body to maintain that level of performance, um, you know, th throughout their competitive time there. And, and I mean, we look at these, you know, I'll, I'll relate it back to hockey because that's kind of a lot of what I'm treating right now is these young, you know, midgets, triple A or double A players and lots of them go to hockey academy schools. And so, you know, they, they just started their hockey academy. And so they're doing all their dry land agility testing, things like that. And then all of a sudden they get, you know, they have a game and then the next day they get bag skating because maybe they didn't play so well. And then they're back on ice the next morning. And so I've, I've had actually quite a few of them come in, not for a specific injury, but their bodies are fatigued. They just need some help with that. 
And having that sounding board or that sort of maybe third party just sort of maybe backing up how they feel or reinforcing how they feel, that can be big for an athlete, right? Oh, I think so. Um, and, you know, I think at the, at the pro level um, or, you know, at the Olympic level where you've got, again, that trainer that's attached to you that, that has a specific type of credentials, um, you know, th- these guys are used to that, you know, the day after a game or a hard skate, they're in the training room and yes, they're doing their ice baths or their, you know, their whirlpools their activation, all that stuff. But they do spend, you know, some of them will spend a little bit of time, extra time on the training table as well, just getting some of that passive treatment that helps them be more effective in their game. I like it. So, you know, we have sort of the acute issues, the sort of the short term stuff. We have the chronic stuff, which is Something that I think most athletes are familiar, but managing that's really important. But then we also have the performance side and, you know, the therapists are around these players. This team is the coaches, the therapists, the athletes, they're together so much. You almost get to know them as well as the athlete themselves. It's a real special relationship, isn't it? Absolutely. It is. And, and I think that's, um, that's a really important one. Like I know, you know, working with the Saskatchewan rush, I've been with this same kind of coaching crew and, and, you know, management for quite some time. And I think rapport is a big thing. Um, you know, I'll get questions from our head coach or our GM and they'll, you know, they'll ask specifically, how come with this injury and this guy, we're saying it's this long, whereas this guy is this long, right? So they're, they're not questioning your, your ability as a professional, but, you know, you can sit down and have those conversations on a respectful level and everybody appreciates everybody's level of expertise, right? Yeah. So I I think that that is almost as important as your rapport and your relationship with those athletes that you're treating as well. Yeah, that trust is so important. I guess one of the final things maybe here, Tisha, you know, when an athlete is experiencing fatigue from training or from competition or whether there's some kind of sort of acute short term thing that pops up or whether you're dealing with sort of managing a chronic situation, I guess maybe one of the key rules or key principles here is never let a minor injury become major. And that's why sometimes that daily interaction or that regular interaction with your therapist can be just so important. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And I think even just, you know, education is power. So I think when, when you kind of explain it to an athlete or, or just an individual who's in who might be battling with something chronic and, you know, helping them to to wrap their mind around the fact that, you know, when, when something's chronic, unfortunately, there's no cure for, for chronic injuries as, as it's medicine sits right now. Um, and so that, that level of management is so important for them to understand, not just from a passive perspective, but just to kind of weather those storms from time to time, right? Because I think that we can get in our own heads. I mean, I, I've been guilty of it, you know, when I was eons ago, when I was actually an athlete, where <laughs> I had uh, I had a couple issues with my Achilles. I was actually in a, you know, in a walking cast for six months out of my grade 12 year. And, and you know, you start getting in your head a little bit and you, you're two, three years down the road. And I'm like, man, every seventh time I run my Achilles hurts and and you know now being in the profession I'm in and seeing these things you realize that there's there's some aspects of that's normal right and and you know what do you do to kind of manage and persevere through that yeah it's interesting we're talking with Tisha Nadu, physiotherapist at Advantage Sport Medicine Physiotherapy. Tahisha, you know, one of the things that I'm really impressed with working with you and all the great people over there at Advantage, 
Um, you know, I've been around pro sports for a long time, and I know there are modalities that that, that can be used to help manage uh, uh, an injury and, and enhance and encourage return to play. But one of the things that I've really, really, I want you to know that really appreciate, you know, working with you is, is just the manual side. You know, there's not a lot of bells and whistles, but it's just it's been so incredibly effective. And I, I think that's something that we should really talk about. So people know about, about this. It's not always about the bells and whistles, though there might be a place for that, but um, man, that, that, that manual interaction getting hands-on is just so important. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, like I kind of see a little bit of a shift in the profession where like, you know, strength and conditioning is incredibly important in that. And that's really our long-term goal again, sometimes people need a little bit of extra help to get there. And, and sometimes it's, you know, maybe dry needling into a tight, stubborn muscle that is, you know, either just tight and causing issues or it's not activating properly. Um, sometimes it's a joint mobilization, a soft tissue release. You know, some people get ART done by clinicians who are certified in that. Um, and, and, you know, I, I do use modalities from time to time, but it's specific situations, like, you know, if it's in a, an acute, you know, ACL tear and their knee's completely blown up and you need to get the swelling down. So that's when, you know, something like a, like an interferential current would be beneficial. If, you know, you, you've just, you know, you started your rehab on your, after you've had surgery on ACL and people are really struggling with um, activating some of their stabilizing muscles, like that's important. But, but I am very much a firm believer in manual therapy. Um, it, it, it's a lot of what I do. And, uh, you know, most people in my clinic will get manual therapy coupled by an active program as well, right? So I think in, you know, from my perspective, especially working with very high-end athletes because of what they put their body through, um, sometimes you have to do a combination of both. And and I see, you know, a little, a little bit of a shift where it, it seems to be leaning a little bit more one side or the other right now. And, and I don't know, I just think there's a way to sort of to bridge them and merge them. And, and I think they both have very uh, equal value. Yeah. I really like that perspective. You know, when we are talking strength and conditioning and if we have an issue with an athlete, whether it's mobility or whether it's a particular movement pattern or whether it's posture range of motion, it might be strength or power or even some sort of reaction type thing. We really work to define the problem and then we come up with a strategy to uh, address the problem. And then we use the tools that actually help get us done. That's kind of what you're thinking here. I really love that holistic approach. Let me ask you this as sort of a final question. You know, we take our cars in for regular tune-ups to hopefully uh, be preventative, right? Um, we know that people need to be active and it's really, I think, important to have the guidance of a, of a professional there from time to time. But I'm getting to the point where I'm really encouraging our athletes at every single level to periodically just go in, get with a physiotherapist, whether they whether they feel they need to or not, just to get a quick checkup. Because uh, we sent athletes into you guys before and you guys have come back with some really interesting findings that have just helped us avoid a major issue potentially down the road. I think I just I really think that's a another changing trend. And I, I'm really encouraging that with our guys. Yeah, I, I actually use the car analogy quite a bit in my practice where I say sometimes we, we maintain our cars better than we do ourselves, right? Where I think we're very reactive, where we, we go see somebody if there's an issue. Um, and, and again, yeah, like I absolutely agree. Like I love working with these athletes that come in and, and you know, they're they, it, usually it's in their off season when they're coming in and just saying like, hey, can I just get an assessment and see if I'm moving properly or, you know, are there any muscle imbalances? Because I think it does. 
um, it shows, number one, invested interest of this athlete in their body and their sports, right? Because they're trying to do this to make themselves better and more effective, you know, on the field or on the diamond or on the ice, whatever it might be. Um, but, but it also allows that kind of open-minded communication between maybe the physio, the athlete, their strength and conditioning, their physician, their coach, all of that to say like, hey, you guys are like, you guys are doing a great job. These are kind of some of the areas that may need a little bit of extra work, or maybe you want to integrate, you know, this stabilizing group a little bit more when you're doing squats or whatever it may be. So I love that idea. And I'm a huge advocate for it because I am very big into let's prevent things before they get really big. Yeah, I like it. And I guess that comes full circle back to our conversation about the education side too, man. I tell you what, that is some of the most powerful time for an athlete to learn about their bodies, how it works and how they can stay on track to compete at their highest level, right? I mean, such a such an important part of, of human performance and health and wellness in general. Yeah. And I mean, no one knows their body better than themselves, right? So um, I think the more the athlete understands their body and the way that they react to things, again, the better they can help themselves in their long run. And and we have to also think about not just the athletes while they're competing, but what about, you know, 10, 15 years down the road when they're retired, right? So I, I think it's also important to, to educate them on, you know, here are some of the things that you might want to expect and as you kind of move forward. And this is why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, I really love it. Excellent stuff, Tahisha. Hey, thanks for that. You know, it's just such a great conversation, especially as we're watching the Olympics go down, the best athletes in the world competing, uh, just getting our heads around how the how they become the best in the world. It's a fascinating thing, and it is certainly a team effort for sure. Hey, if you want Absolutely. more, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. It, it's a team effort for sure, right? Absolutely it is. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that, you know, everybody needs a, a team of support to help make them their best person. Yeah, no question about it. Hey, if you want more information from Tahisha and all the great people down at Advantage Sport Medicine Physiotherapy, go to advantagesportmed.ca and you can check out it, check them out there and reach out to them there. Tisha, thanks so much for this. I'm really enjoying these uh, these visits we're getting. I look forward to the next one. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Great discussion right there. And I think the big takeaway here is the idea of getting regular checkups for your body and your fitness, right? I mean... We take our cars in to get regular maintenance to avoid those big breakdowns. And it does pay off big time. The same principle applies for your body. And it doesn't matter whether you're a young developing athlete or whether you're a pro athlete. A lot of times we don't address these issues until it's too late, until there's an injury. A really important conversation. Let's talk about that more after this quick break. And we'll also talk about a major injury in the Super Bowl that is spurring on a whole new conversation around playing surfaces. We'll get to that right after this on Crush Performance. You're listening to Crush Performance with Jeff Crushell. Get the Crush podcast, newsletter, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Hey, if you're on social media, give me a follow. At Jeff Crush is our Twitter handle, and you can search out Crush Performance for all other social media platforms. And listen, if you need some help with something, whether it's your program or your team's program or your child's program, let us know. If we don't have the answers, I can pretty much guarantee we know somebody who will have the answers and our network is just incredibly generous with sharing information. But most of all, everybody just wants to help out a bit. So do not hesitate to reach out. Uh, crushperformance.com is the website. Again, info at crushperformance is the email. 
Or if you have a topic you'd like us to investigate and present on the show, let us know as well. I mean, we had a great email a few weeks back asking us to look a little bit deeper into the myocarditis situation and its potential connection to COVID and the vaccine and what it's all about, especially in terms of athletes. With the great Canadian soccer player Alfonso Davies being sidelined with myocarditis, it's pretty timely. So we're actually in contact with some doctors and cardiologists We'll be coming on the show in the next couple of weeks. It's truly a team effort. So do let us know and we'll get after it for sure. But there are a couple of things I want to wrap up with here. A great conversation with Tahisha there talking about just getting yourself in for a maintenance checkup as an athlete. It's so important. We're so reactive when it comes to injuries. But here's the thing that I know. Like if you look at some of the injuries that maybe you've had. Uh, I can certainly reflect back on so many athletes who've been taken out of play because of an injury only to rehab and come back better than ever. I've seen it so many times, athletes going down with an injury, going through the entire rehabilitation return to play program, only to come back going, holy cow, I'm better than ever. Because they took the time out to really do the work that needs to be done, not only just to prevent injuries, but to push performance to new levels. It happens all the time and most certainly uh, in injury situations, but it can be avoided. A lot of the injuries that we see are preventable. If we would just get in and maybe just do a little tune up, that's kind of what the off season is all about, right? When we address the off season for our athletes, regardless of the sport, you know, we shut them down for a short little while. And I'm not talking about couch potato shutdown. Like we do give them a window where there's just no structured training, but these guys are always active. They're out golfing or riding their bikes or shooting hoops. They're all horsing around, whatever it is they do. Uh, but once they get back into it, we start with just a restructuring of the body, depending on the sport that they play. If it's a one-sided sport, say like baseball or tennis or golf, where things are really one-sided, we would really, really address posture and take some time to get the body back aligned before we start training for sport performance again. If it's a sport like football or soccer, where things are pretty unilateral and there's not a lot of asymmetries, we would certainly address the stresses of the sport and try to build the athletes again from the inside out but we'd bring them back to a level where they're always better than they were before. That's the goal and objective. Unfortunately, we get so caught up in competition and training our skills and the technical tactical side of the game. We sometimes forget to prepare the body for battle and these intermittent checkups that Tahisha and I were talking about in the last segment can be a huge factor in not just preventing injuries, but also in helping athletes be at their very highest level of readiness uh, between games, between training sessions, between innings, between periods. You know, if you get around pro sports or the next time you watch the Olympics, if you get a chance, just pay attention to the sidelines or the action that's going on around the event that's happening. You'll see athletes with their coaches or with their therapists getting their feet manipulated or getting stretched out or doing a quick massage, a quick activation type massage to get ready for their next trial or their next attempt or whatever it might be. It's a huge tool in the toolbox if you use it. And everybody has access to this. So think about it if you're an athlete who loves sport, even if you're recreational. Don't wait till it's too late. I can't tell you how many times we've caught something that I truly believe prevented a major injury or at least reduced the risk dramatically. And that's all you can ask for at the end of the day. You know, we talk about this rehabilitation. Well, there's this whole movement towards prehabilitation and getting things done before it happens. So keep that in mind. All right. Hey, quickly about the Super Bowl here as we wrap up the show today. We have to mention it because it's, of course, one of the biggest events on the sporting calendar. Here are a few fun facts about this year's Super Bowl. 6214 U.S. dollars was the average cost of a ticket at the Super Bowl. 
There were 70,000 fans at SoFi Stadium for the game. 50 vaccinated fans received free tickets from the NFL. That's pretty cool. There were 101 million people tuning in globally, worldwide on TV, according to NBC. And the average cost of a 30-second spot for the Super Bowl was $6.5 million. That is one hot commodity. There's no question about it. But the game was pretty good. I liked it. I didn't really have a horse in the race here, other than the Bengals weren't even on my radar at the start of the year. Where did they come from? Did we miss them on our crushed teams, players, and storylines to watch? We did not mention the Bengals. We might have mentioned them in passing, but they weren't on our radar to be anything special this year. And yet, here they were. And of course, Joe Burrow, I think, is the big story there. Well, the the whole team's a great story. I mean, Cincinnati, that's just a great team. But who says defense doesn't win games? Aaron Donald, come on, man. The Rams' defense was just spectacular. The first three quarters of the game were just shut down football. Offensive line was my favorite. That's my favorite position. My favorite players to work with. But I love watching those guys as well. When they're on task and doing their jobs well, they are truly a game changer. We all know that. Giving that quarterback the time to breathe and get collected is so important. But defense, man, Aaron Donald, are you kidding? The Rams defense just was unstoppable. And he was a one-man wrecking crew. So hats off to him. He was a big contributor to the success of the Rams here. Uh, Cooper Cup, of course, MVP. He and quarterback Matthew Stafford were connected, ESP-wise, some kind of extra-sensory connection because they were just on point uh, for for this game. And it was kind of fun to watch and see them come around. Again, it's a little different when you don't have a horse in the race, but the Rams have been a crush team to watch, of course, for years and years. Sean McVay being the youngest coach to win a Super Bowl. And, of course, I believe... Correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the two youngest coaches to ever face each other in the Super Bowl. There's changing of the guard going on in sport. We're seeing more women at higher executive levels. Kim Ng, of course, taking over as the GM of the Florida Marlins in baseball. We're seeing it in hockey, in the NHL, in the GMs and top executive levels in scouting, now in coaching as well. I love it. I love what's going on here in terms of of sport in general. Uh, But it has been fun. To watch the Rams and the Rams have been a crush team to watch since McVay took over. There's something about him that, that that I just really liked right from the get-go. And I wanted to see if that persona and the way he approaches the game was going to be effective. And boy, oh boy, is it ever effective. I'd like to sit down with him someday and see what his influences were. How, how did he turn out the way he is and why does he coach the way he does? Really fun to watch. Uh, but the big story, of course, for the Rams was Odell Beckham going down. This is a big loss for them, and it could have been a game changer. And this was a non-contact knee injury. We are thinking right now, and I don't think it's been reported yet, at least I haven't seen it, but it was an ACL tear, a non-contact ACL tear, which has spurred on the whole conversation of whether turf is a good way to go for football or sport in general. And the players are now getting quite vocal about this. On social media, the campaign is called Flip the Turf, Flip the Turf campaign, where you can go on any of the social media platforms and see the opinions of some of your favorite players. They're saying that 90% of NFL players prefer real grass. And I actually really get that. You know, if you look at some of the data and we've talked about this extensively on the show, you know, that stadium is a $5 billion stadium. If you remember a couple of years ago, we had uh, the medical director for the Texas Rangers on the show talking about their new stadium and the amount of work that went in to developing that new generation of artificial turf that's in there. It's the closest thing to actual grass that you could possibly get, but is it enough? 
I know back with the Blue Jays, when I was the strength coach with the Blue Jays, of course, we were one of the stadiums that had artificial turf. We really had to manage our guys. That turf was hard on their bodies. Anytime you change surfaces, as a matter of fact, if you're a multi-sport athlete, this is something to keep in mind. If you're changing surfaces, that can really wreak havoc on your joints, your bodies, and your, and your muscles as well. So you have to give yourself time to adapt to new surfaces. But, you know, in the heat of battle in the season, when you're going from turf to beautiful grass, listen, we would sometimes not allow our players to run on the outfield track at the at the Rogers Center because it was just too hard. We'd have them on the treadmill, on the elliptical, on the bike, or doing stairs rather than just doing repetitive running on the turf. And the turf is just a little bit different. And that can be problematic. So you do have to manage it. Turf is not the same as grass. There's no question about that. And nobody's going to dispute that for sure. But there's data out there saying turf is actually better for, of course, the environment and uh, lessens the risk of injury. But there's also data out there showing that grass is superior. In the players' campaign, in the players' campaign, flip the turf, they had some stats. And they're saying 28% more non-contact lower body injuries, 32% more non-contact knee injuries and 69% more non-contact foot and ankle injuries occurred on turf. They said turf can get up to 60 degrees hotter than natural grass, which is obviously a huge issue in sport. And of course, then of course there's the environmental issues. You can't recycle turf, they say, but on the other side, they're using a lot of recycled materials to create turf. The campaign also says that one field turf requires over 440,000 pounds of petroleum derivatives which is obviously an, an issue. But on the other side, they're saying that the average grass playing field uses about 50,000 gallons of water per week during the growing season. So you got all these different issues surrounding uh, turf versus grass. I mean, I'm honestly a huge fan of grass just for the athletes and managing the athletes. But sometimes it's not practical. Covered stadiums, very, very difficult to, to have a, a real grass field in a covered stadium, though the technology is coming. So, so we'll be watching this one closely for sure and hoping that Odell Beckham returns next year better than ever. All right, another Super Bowl in the books. I didn't think the commercials were as good as past years. Uh, that's something I thought was down a little bit. But, um, you know, when you're paying $6.5 million for 30 seconds, it better be a whopper, right? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that's just me. Anyway, we're up against the clock here, everybody. I have to thank Tahisha Nadu for joining us today. And I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Get out there. Have a great week. And I'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. This is an In the Trenches with Ian Beckles Quick Fix on Radio Influence. You know, when it's all said and done, if you look at last year's Super Bowl and the reason why the Buccaneers won last year's Super Bowl, the reason why was our defensive front and the reason why Kansas City couldn't win last year was because they couldn't block the Bucs. Ain't that much different this week. I mean, this year, the reason why the Rams are champions is because they're better up front. That's why this, this show is in the trenches. That's why I call this podcast In the Trenches because a lot of people like to make a big deal out of the guys that are making all that money and throwing the ball here and there. But when you can't block somebody, you could be great, but it don't matter. And Joe Burrow certainly is great. But if they don't figure out a way to go protect him, uh, he won't be great for long. I think they said he gave up 15 sacks during the, the, the playoffs, I think. Fifth, oh, 19, sorry. 19 sacks in three playoff games. You don't expect for somebody to continue to, to exist that way. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com. Thanks.